Good morning. Bunch of fine looking people you are. Yes, you're welcome, babe. Well, we are, we are in Romans chapter 8 now, Romans chapter 8. So yeah, I know, hey, that's incredible. We finished up Romans chapter 7 last week. By the way, just one more announcement, there's no youth tonight, no youth tonight. Okay, yes, I know you're all very sad, youth are certainly. Uh, Romans chapter 8, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 4, so I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to that section of God's Word. If you don't have a Bible, would you... Maybe grab one of those blue Bibles located underneath the seats around you. If you turn to page 944 in that Bible, that'll bring you to our section here in Romans chapter 8. I haven't even started and someone's already upset. So, uh, so far as I said, we've covered the first seven chapters of Romans, right? And by way of reminder... Romans is the letter or book of the Bible that provides us with the greatest and fullest explanation of the gospel. Okay, just I'm kind of taking you back now a little bit to the, to the introduction that we had concerning Romans. And you could f- define the gospel, beloved, simply as the good news concerning who? Jesus Christ, right. You could, you, could, you could just define it that way as a general statement. That's the gospel, the good news concerning Jesus Christ. Or you could go further and say that it is the news concerning a salvation for sinners that is flat out incomprehensible in its blessings and mercies. That is, it is a salvation, my friends, that justifies us making us completely right with God, positionally. Even though, even though that is the last thing we deserve as sinners. And not only that, not only does this gospel justify us, but it, it sanctifies us. It makes us more and more like God's righteous son over time, which is a gift that is immeasurable in its value. And it is a salvation that comes to us not through anything we do, right? Not through anything we do, but it comes to us by God's grace, through faith, alone, in Christ alone. In Christ alone. And I could add one more thing to that when we're defining the gospel or explaining the gospel, as we have learned through Romans, the message of the gospel is one that says this very clearly, that when it comes to salvation, when it comes to this magnificent salvation, one must put all of their hope and confidence in nothing else, not in themselves, not in their attempts to be obedient, not in their so-called goodness, but in nothing else but the Son of God, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. And why? Why is that? Why is he the link to this great salvation? Well, it is because he alone was able to do what you couldn't do and what no one else could do. 
and that is secure this great salvation. How? Through his substitutionary, sin-bearing, and sacrificial death, death and subsequent resurrection. That's how. He's the only one. So it is through Christ this great salvation is made possible and secured for every sinner who places their faith in him alone. Now, while up to this point in Romans, we have learned quite a bit about the gospel, right, as we've made our way through these first seven chapters, and we have come, as we've as we studied this, we've come to understand better God the Father's role in our salvation and God the Son's role in our salvation, both the Father and Christ. We've seen that now in Romans, but what Paul has not addressed so far is the Spirit of God's role or the Holy Spirit's role concerning the gospel or concerning the believer or the Christian. Paul does make a quick comment, and if you were here, you saw this. He makes a quick comment concerning the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 7. Maybe you remember that. That is a chapter that we looked at over the last four weeks, a chapter or three weeks that primarily deals with the law's inability because of our sin to empower a person to bear fruit for God in their life. Okay, that's really what chapter 7 is looking at. It's the law's inability to sanctify or to make us holy or to cause us to be able to bear fruit for God. And Paul states in verse 6, in the middle of this conversation of chapter 7, that the Christian serves God in the new way of the Spirit, in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code or the Mosaic law. You can look back in your Bibles, you can see that comment there. But other than that, there is nothing about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, there is nothing really else about him in the first seven chapters of Romans. However, that all changes when we get to Romans chapter 8. That all changes. This chapter is dominated. It is dominated by references to the Spirit. In fact, beloved, there are more references to the Spirit in this chapter in Romans than, to, and than any other chapter in the New Testament. Now, before we get to the text, what I want to do is just tell you something up front. One of the things that I hope to show you or that you will see as we go through this section is that one of the wonderful things that the Holy Spirit does, because sometimes we forget, I think we forget that the Holy Spirit is also involved, very much so, in our salvation. We give praises to Christ, we give praises to the Father, and that is good and right to do so. But we might forget about the Holy Spirit's role. This is a team effort. This Trinitarian God is working together to bring about the salvation for sinners. And, and working in their salvation and, and working through them. And so what you're going to see, I hope, is that the Holy Spirit, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit for the believer is simply to apply the benefits that have been won for them by Christ on the cross to them. He applies those benefits won for them by Christ on the cross to them, to the believer. So, you ready? Okay, let's read the first four verses, and then we'll go through it in more detail. And hopefully you'll see that, that very special role the Holy Spirit plays in the Christian's life. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 8, it says this, There is therefore 
now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So what we're going to do as we move through this section is we're going to look at, and this is in your bulletins as an outline, we're going to look at three amazing truths that result from the Holy Spirit's ministry in the life of the Christian so that we might better understand his very important role in our lives. The R there is in, our, in the Christian's life, in the believer's life. That's what we're looking at, so that we understand the role that the Holy Spirit plays. And those three amazing truths that result from the Holy Spirit's ministry in the life of the Christian are first, elimination of condemnation. Elimination of condemnation. Second, liberation from the law of sin and death. And third, fulfillment of the righteous requirement of the law. Now, for a couple of reasons, we are only going to look at the first point today. Elimination of condemnation. And uh, the first reason for that is because of this. Points two and three, you see them there in your outline, points two and three, liberation from the law of sin and death and fulfillment of the righteous requirement of the law. Those are a little more difficult to work through, and they are going to present you with a mental challenge to try to comprehend all that's going on there. And I don't, I don't want that challenge to in any way diminish you thinking about the first point. So I decided to break it up that way. We're going to focus on that first point this morning. Uh, the other reason is, is that I promised the people running the picnic today that I would be finished at 11.30 <laughs> or so. Uh, and by the way, I heard that there's a bet going on right now of whether or not that's going to actually happen. Yeah. And uh, you guys should be aware that the person who informed me of that has placed a lot of money on that bet and that he has agreed to split those winnings with me if I make sure he wins. Now, I'm not going to tell you how he bet, uh, whether it was I would finish early or late, but you'll find out. All right, look back at verse 1. Look back at verse 1 with me. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, look, real quick. Oh, yes, that's an amen. That is an amen verse, okay? If there ever was an amen verse, that is it. <laughs> Thank you. You'll have more opportunities for that. We'll read it again. But listen, it, there is therefore now no condemnation for, notice what he does not say. He does not say, for good people. He doesn't say that, although that's what a lot of people think. Oh, I won't be condemned. I'm a good person. He doesn't say for people who try to adhere to some, some standard of morality, whether that be morality based on the Bible or their own version of morality. It doesn't say that, does it? But yet that's what some people think. It also doesn't say that there is no condemnation for those who try to keep the law of God, who are doing their best. I mean, he just, he just got through talking about the law in chapter 7, right? So this would be a great time for him to say, and oh, by the way, there's no condemnation for you who are doing your best to keep the law. 
He doesn't say that, does he? And yet, that is what a lot of people think. Maybe you think that. Maybe you're here and you think that. And I know many people think that, and I've said this before because we'll go out, we'll knock on doors, and we'll ask people, if you were standing before God and he asked you, why should I let you into my heaven? What they typically say is, because I'm a good person, because I do my best to keep the law, because I haven't murdered anybody, I don't lie. Please. I don't steal, these kind of things. So they're basing the fact that they won't come under any condemnation from God on the very things that the Bible doesn't say will free them from condemnation. There is only one thing, according to the word of God. What is it, guys? What is it? What does the text say? For those who are in Christ Jesus. For those who are in Christ Jesus. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. I'm going to pound that home a little bit more as we go. Now, this is what I want to focus on this morning, this verse. But first... If you just read this verse, as we just did, just verse 1, then you, would, you wouldn't see any reference or connection to the Holy Spirit, right? Look at the verse. Do you see any reference or connection? Because I'm, the outline says these are... What does my outline say? I have to even read my own outline. We're looking at these amazing truths that result from the Holy Spirit's ministry of the life of the Christian. I'm saying these are one of these amazing truths. Elimination of condemnation. But in verse 1... Do you see any reference to the Holy Spirit? No, right? But listen, this is why it's important to read passages in their context, to read them where everything that's around the verse, not to just take one verse out and isolate it and try to determine what that verse says based on just that one verse or what's all that's being taught there. The very next verse, look at it, look at it in your Bibles. The very next verse begins with the word for. Do you see that? Tell me you see that. Okay. The Greek word translated for could also be translated because. We, I've said this before to you as we've been looking at other texts. It could be translated because, which is exactly how the NIV translates it. Because. And that, that Greek word translated for in the ESV is regularly used in the scriptures, listen, as a marker, as a marker to show cause or reason for something to show cause or reason for something. So then based on that, verse 2, which begins with the word, you see it, for, is actually then providing a reason or the reason for Paul's statement in verse 1. That statement being that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And what is that reason according to verse 2? Well, it is because of the law of the spirit of life. What is that? Spirit of life. Or who is that would be more appropriate to say. Well, that's the Holy Spirit, beloved. Certainly from the context we know that. But if you look at something like John 6, 63, there Jesus tells us that it is the spirit who gives life. He's referring to the Holy Spirit. Or you could look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. Again, it says the spirit gives life. So it is the life-giving spirit or the spirit of life or the Holy Spirit to whom Paul is referring, the third person of the Trinity. And that spirit of life, the spirit of life, the Holy Spirit, he has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now, that whole statement right there in verse 2, does that sound a little confusing to you? 
be honest. Does it sound confusing? A little confusing? Did you see it there? Are you with me? For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Uh, It is confusing. It is a little confusing. Um, And what I'm going to do is I'm going to do my best next week to explain what it means. Okay? We're going to come back to it. But what I'm doing right now is I simply want to... I want you to see one thing in verse 2, and I'm trying to show you how it connects with verse 1. According to the Apostle Paul, the Christian has been set free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death. What is that? We're going to talk about it next week. And that liberation has taken place through the Holy Spirit, or the Spirit of life. And so thinking about what I explained to you just a moment ago, concerning the word for at the beginning of verse 2, we should understand it this way, that this liberation is the basis on which the person in Christ is forever saved from condemnation. It is the basis. It is the reason. It is the because. Now, we're going to come back to verse 2, and when we look at point 2 next week, Or we will come back to it. But for right now, I just wanted to show you that the amazing truth of verse 1, no condemnation, is in some way, and that's what we need to talk about, it is in some way connected to the ministry of the indwelling Holy Spirit in the Christian's life. Okay? You with me? So we love this, Pat. We love verse 1. But I just don't want you to miss the fact that it's connected in some way, some significant way, to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling Holy Spirit in the Christian's life. Okay? You with me so far? All right. Look back at your text, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. And we will break this down a little bit. All right, do you see there is therefore now? There is therefore now? Now. Don't miss that word. There is therefore now. Something's changed, and I believe this points to or serves as a reference to a, you could call it a new era or a new period of salvation history. Something has changed, and it, ha- it began with, or it was brought about, this new era, it was brought about by Christ's sin-bearing death, okay? That is, when he took upon himself Christ the wrath of God the Father for our sins. That's what we're talking about. When he bore, when Christ bore the condemnation that we deserve, when he suffered the penalty and punishment that our sin has justly earned, when he died as a substitute in our place. This is what I believe Paul is referring to. Something has changed. There's a new era at work now in salvation history, and it came through Christ. Now, because of that, and only because of that, for those who are now in Christ, it can be said, it can be said that there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation. Why? Why can that be said? Because it has been completely wiped away through the sacrifice of Christ, through the sacrifice of Christ. It has been eliminated for good. It has been obliterated, obliterated. The sinner's condemnation 
in Christ. In Christ. So then, beloved, as a Christian, I can confidently say this, that Christ, and I will say this, Christ bore the full judgment that I deserved for all my sin. He bore it, past, present, and future. He bore the judgment that I deserve for all of my disobedience, past, present, and future, for all my failures, for all my rebellion. And if you're a Christian, you could say that too. You could say that too. And when he was done bearing it, when he was finished, you know what? There was no condemnation left over. There was nothing left. He didn't work it through 99% and leave 1% for me to try to figure out or to make up. He bore it all. And because of that, there will never be condemnation for me because he paid my debt in full. You understand? You understand, Christian? As Hebrew 10 says, Christ has suffered or offered, that is, for all time, a single sacrifice for sins. And his sacrifice, as we're told in Hebrews 10, was not the blood of bulls and goats, right? That was the sacrificial system that existed for Israel. But that, that we're told, never could take sins away. That was only a picture, an illustration of of the need for there to be a sacrifice for their sins, and the one who would perfectly and completely be that sacrifice for sins, that would be Christ. He became the sacrifice by bearing our judgment in his own body on the cross. Now listen, eight, chapter 8, verse 1, is, is absolutely no doubt If you haven't memorized it, you should, but it's absolutely no doubt one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible for the Christian, for the Christian, because it is beautiful, but I also want you to see that it also serves as a dire warning to the unbeliever, a dire warning. It it holds out hope for the unbeliever, if they understand it correctly, but for the believer, they are, it secures their hope. It establishes their hope. But listen, the one who is not a Christian, the one who is not a Christian, based on this passage, should think very carefully, very carefully about their standing before God. People are flippant with this. Oh, I'm, I'm sure I'll be fine. Based on What? Based on your own imagination, based on your own false hope, you'll be fine with God? Based on what? What are you basing that on? Because according to the word of God, those who are not in Christ will not be fine. They won't be. Look. Look at it again. Romans 8, verse 1. Look at it. There is therefore now no condemnation for who? Who? Those who are in Christ Jesus. Beloved, follow the logic. Follow the logic. It's simple. This means there is, there is condemnation. 
for those who remain outside of Christ. There, there is. The one who has not been united to Jesus through saving faith. The person who has never been born again of the Spirit. The one in whom the Spirit of God does not dwell. For that person there is. There remains condemnation because that person, listen, has never had the wonderful benefits of Christ's sacrifice applied to them. They've never had those benefits applied to them. They're here, but they're not theirs. They remain outside of Christ. And so, therefore, they still remain under God's wrath for their sin. And they're only storing up more and more wrath for themselves for the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Where do you get that kind of thinking? Romans chapter 2, verse 5, or John chapter 3, verse 36, those passages. Beloved, one writer said it this way. This is nice. Leave this up for a second. The unbeliever has his judgment day before him. Okay, that's the warning. But for us who are Christians, the believer in Christ, he has his judgment day behind him. It's behind him. It's done. It was completed in Christ. And therefore, it's completed in me because I'm in Christ. But for those outside of Christ, that judgment still looms. It still awaits. This is, this is why, hopefully, if you understand these kind of things, this is why we pray for unbelievers. This is why we, we share the gospel with them. This is why we tell people about Jesus. Right? This is the motivating, this is the motivating factor. Because we know, we know the truths. We, we find joy and peace and, and all kinds of blessing in the truths of our, our salvation. But in that, we realize that for those who are outside of Christ, there is no joy, there is no peace, there is only condemnation. They may think they're doing okay, they're doing fine, they'll get by somehow, but according to the Word of God, they won't. They won't. And so I, I pray that's what moves us, motivates us to plead with them. Plead! To stay on them! Now, they don't want to hear about Christ. Oh, that's okay, tell them again. They're tired of me talking about Jesus. Okay. Give them a little bit of break. Come back at it again. Do it again. Tell them about Christ. Pray that God will do a work in them so that they can be part of the group for whom the banner is over them that says there is no condemnation for you. You see? That's what motivates us. That's what drives people to, to give up all of their possessions and to risk their lives, to go to places that are very dangerous in our world, for what reason? To tell them about Jesus. 
Because they know that is the only way to escape the wrath that is to come. Right? That's what drives you. That's what pushes you. But, beloved, for us, who are in Christ, we can also at the same time be rejoicing, right? Because our judgment day is behind us. If you're a believer in Christ, if you're trusting in Him and Him alone, and Him alone as your Lord and Savior, then Romans 8.1 is a promise you should remember and repeat to yourself again and again, okay? Again and again. There is no longer any condemnation for me. No longer any condemnation for you. It has been wiped away in Christ. It has been eliminated for good by the work of your Savior. You know what? It's critical for the Christian to know this and to continually to recall this to mind because the devil... You know that great enemy of God and ours? The devil would certainly like you to think that you remain condemned and damned. That's what he wants you to think. And our, by the way, this is, this, is, this is... For the unbeliever, the devil's work is to convince them they're not damned. Huh? Oh, you're fine. You don't need Jesus. That's just for weak people. Well, you got that right, Satan, because we're all weak. We're in desperate need of a Savior. But, you know, they they kind of shove it off. Oh, that's just for people who who need something else in their life. I'm doing fine. I don't need Jesus. That's the lie of Satan. That's what he's telling them. But now for the Christian who realizes, oh, they need Jesus. I need Jesus. Then Satan comes along and says, oh, look at you, you, you failure. Look at you, how you can't get over the that issue with your sin, oh, no, you're still condemned. You're still damned. Don't believe that. Don't believe that you're free from those things. Come on. How could that possibly be? And if you listen to that lie as a Christian, then there is no doubt that, you know what happens? You become discouraged, right? Really discouraged, depressed. Maybe anxiety begins to set in. And you even lose the motivation to keep fighting the good fight against your sin. You lose it. Because you're like, what's the point, man? I'm condemned anyway. Lie. That's a lie. Don't buy into that lie. You're free. It's that freedom, that release that gives you the, the motivation to stand up and go at it again through the strength of the Spirit that indwells you. To keep living for God. Because he set you free. Beyond that, beyond that, if you buy into that lie, you know what happens? I'm talking to you from personal experience, okay? I'm not like, well, this is what might happen. No, this is personal experience because I've bought into that lie in the past. Your love for God will start to be diminished. It'll start to be diminished if you start to believe, no, I am condemned, I am damned in some way. God is angry with me. Your view of him then becomes distorted. You see him no longer as your loving father who completely accepts you in Jesus Christ. You don't see him that way anymore, but rather you see him as a judge who stands over you with his disapproving stare. And he looks at you with contempt and disgust. 
He's just looking for an opportunity to punish you. Beloved, that is not the relationship that the Christian has with God. No, that is not through Christ. It is not the relationship they have. And yet that's how we can start to see it. Now let me ask you something. How motivated are you to pursue this relationship if you're thinking about God in those terms? Looking down you with the contempt and, and disgust. Are you excited about that? Are you fired up? No, because it's not true though, beloved. It's not true. And I want to close this morning by sharing something that I found to be very helpful that I read from another sermon on this verse. And, and all this is, all this is, you, could, you can take this and apply it in many different ways, but all it is is simply three ways of how meditating on the truth of Romans chapter 8, verse 1 can have such an important and beneficial impact on your life. Okay, People are always looking to connect the truth of Scripture with their real life. Right? Here it is for you, okay? Now, you know the passage, right? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Here's how we could apply this. That means there is no condemnation. Let me, I'll explain it. There is no condemnation in physical pain. What do you, what do you mean? All right, so when you suffer, and I'm quoting this, this pastor, when you suffer physical pain, and it goes on and on, it lasts a long time, and it seems to be getting worse instead of better, and that is the case for some that are here. They have debilitating problems, and it even seems that it may, in some cases, may end in death, or there is no healing. You know what happens? The accuser comes. Or maybe it's your own messed up thoughts, or the, you know, the devil comes, or maybe it's friends like Job. That Job had, I mean. Friends like Job had. And this is what they say. They say, that's your punishment. That's your punishment. You are under God's condemnation. That's why you're suffering so much. So how do you survive that? How do you deal with that? Can I give you an answer? Romans 8, chapter 1. No. I am not under condemnation. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Rather, I trust in Christ. He is my righteousness. He is my pardon. I have been acquitted in Him. My sins are covered. I will not come into condemnation. It's been removed. It's been obliterated. I have passed from death into life. So, be gone. And I'll let Christ and His power be perfected in this pain. I'll learn to trust Him more. But I will not go down that road of thinking, this is because I'm under His condemnation, because that's impossible. You see? That's impossible. And so then I can find strength and power to continue to live for God, even in the midst of incredible pain and suffering in this physical body. How about this? No condemnation in marriage difficulties. What? All right, watch. Suppose you feel uh, disappointed or even deeply wronged in your marriage. I'm sure there's none of you out there like that. Edgar. See, you guys, he's so smart. He, he, he waits for moments 
to score incredible points. He's wise. You guys should learn, husbands. You should learn. Uh, So let's just say that's the case. Now, where will you find the moral power to forgive and keep on loving and wooing and hoping and not resort to returning evil for evil and condemning your spouse? Where will you find that power? Okay? I'm going to say you're going to, yes in Christ, yes in the Spirit. You'll find it, though, here, right here in Romans 8, chapter 1. You know how? Because you're going to remind yourself again and again that even though you are a sinner, spouse, just so you know, there's not one sinner in a marriage. There's two. (laughs) That's what makes it so difficult sometimes. Even though you are a sinner, in Christ Jesus, God does not condemn you. And your future is free for everlasting joy. And from the reservoir of mercy and hope that you have because you are in Christ, you can draw up buckets of mercy then for your spouse. Right? Uh, Tim quoted from Ephesians, and he said, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Why? How, what's the motivation for that? Where do I draw the strength to do that? Because I've been forgiven in Christ. I am no longer condemned in Christ. So if I'm not condemned, I can find in the ability to not condemn my spouse. That's the connection. And how about this one? We'll end here. No condemnation in the failures of parenting. Listen to this, parents. Listen, listen closely. What, what are you going to do, the writer says, what are you going to do if your children break your heart? Typically, what we'll do is we are going to find lots of reasons for it being our fault. I should have done this. I should have said that. I should have been there more often. And, and you'll never be able to ultimately sort it out. How much fault is yours or what exactly you did wrong or right. It really only God knows. So how do you keep on going? How do you keep going under those circumstances when your kids go astray? And, and the writer says this, Romans 8, 1, in the end, you don't have to sort it out. You don't have to sort it out. Stop trying. Your standing with God does not hang on you figuring out how much was your fault and how much was not your fault. Your standing before God as a loved and forgiven child is this. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And with that freedom, you will admit your failings freely. You can admit them. I mean, so many parents are trying to hide them or trying to to do something to overcome them. Listen, you're going to fail as a parent. I hate to, I'm just going to tell you right now, it's going to happen. You are going to fail. I don't care how many books you read. I don't care. I, you know, it's like, oh, but I got this book now, so I've got it all figured out. Oh, great. Great. Uh, more power to you. 
and you're going to read another one after that and another one after that. And still, I'm just telling you, you're going to have some failure. I'm not saying, oh, just give up. Don't do anything because you're going to fail. But you will fail. But you still are under no condemnation with God. And that freedom allows you to admit those failings freely and to humble yourselves before your children. This is what allows you to do that. You don't have to pretend with your kids anymore. Hey, I have failed you. And when you grow up, you'll fail your kids too. This is not, you know, it's like, maybe you want something else. Maybe you want, hey, you can do it. You can do it. You know, some power motivational thing. Just believe and achieve. Reach for the stars. You know, all this stuff, nonsense. But in the real world, that is nonsense. Go into the homes. That's, guys, gals, come on. See, I know. (laughs) I know not only because I am a parent, but because parents come to me. Husbands and wives come to me. Man, we got to stop pretending. It's ridiculous. And the gospel frees us. To say, man, I'm weak, I'm messed up. But I find the strength to press on because there is no condemnation any longer for me. See? Do you see the power in this? In just this one verse. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. It is glorious. It is truly a treasure. How foolish of us, Father, many times we just pass it by. Oh, it's too complex. It's too difficult. Oh, Father. Some of the richest things in your word you have made so clear, so abundantly clear. Father, this is one of them. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Father, may the the wealth of that, the glory of that, the beauty of that, may it flow into us and into our souls and our hearts and minds. May it give us the peace that it was meant to give us, the confidence, the humility, the motivation, to press on in this life, to give our lives to you in full service without having to worry about anything else. Are we going to fail? Yep. Yep. We're going to fail. We're going to have problems. We're going to have setbacks. Our spouse will disappoint us. We'll disappoint our spouse. Our kids will disappoint us. We'll disappoint our kids. We won't always be the best employee We'll struggle in this life. We will struggle. We'll continue to fight the fight. But we find the power and motivation to fight that fight and the fact that in that fight, I don't ever have to worry. I don't ever have to think that I'm going to lose this battle ultimately. No, it has been won already. It's been won, Father. You won it for me through your Son, Jesus Christ. And those wonderful benefits of my salvation have now been applied to me through the Holy Spirit that indwells me when I was born again through saving faith in Jesus. Father, thank you. Thank you and thank you. And Father, for those that are here who who are not saved, they don't have a saving relationship 
with Jesus Christ. They maybe know about him, but they don't know him. They're not indwelt by your spirit, Father. They, they just haven't made the, that decision. They haven't given themselves to Christ. They haven't turned to him. Father, I hope that they would be warned from this passage. They, they wouldn't just blow it off. That for them, there is only condemnation. That's it. They can't escape it. There's nothing they can do to overcome it. They can't get out from under it. They're sinners, just like us. But the difference is, we've been set free in Christ. He took the judgment that we deserved. And it can be the same for them, but they must have those benefits applied to them personally. And that comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the dwelling Holy Spirit that lives inside of every one of your children, Father. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you most of all for your great, great, great salvation in Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.